poor Jim Stowell, he he volunteered to help with food preparation with you know the Branhams, and so he's got his hands full, doesn't he? <clears throat> so they were cooking for hundreds yesterday, and anyway, yeah. If you don't have a handout, I'm just. We had HBI in here, and Randy oh. couldn't figure out how to like get the PowerPoint. Oh, I'm, like looking because they were looking up there, so they plug it into down here. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, it had it was on the wrong source. I had to. It was just on TV. <laughs> it was on TV mode. It has okay. to be in HDMI two, not one, but two. They didn't know which HDMI. Anyway, I was just looking. Well, good. Okay. Yeah, you can help next time. So we are in Jeremiah 8, and uh, we're trying to go through one chapter per week. <clears throat> There's 52 chapters. I thought we might get a running start at it this morning. We, we've we talked uh, last two weeks ago, uh, Brother Pat Lee talked about Jeremiah the man. And uh, one, one thing I, I heard this week that kind of struck me, I think we said that his names mean God as exalted or something like that. Uh, I'm trying to think. But I I heard this week that his name means uh, like so. See if I can reach all this. But I think Jeremiah was uh, lived during about seven of the kings. <clears throat> so these are like the last eight kings of, of Judah. Hezekiah, uh, Manasseh, or Manasseh, some say, uh, Amon. And uh, we know Josiah is famous, and uh, Jehoaz or Solomon, Shalom, uh, Jehoiakim, and then Jehoiachin, and then Zedekiah was the last of the kings, and he he died uh, in captivity in Babylon. But uh, <clears throat> so th- these. Uh, these last, some say he was born the same year as Josiah. So him and Josiah were about the same age, and uh, Josiah was eight years old when he became the king. <clears throat> and um, but they don't really mention each other. I think I think Josiah may be in the book of Jeremiah once. I I can't remember, but I'm sure he I'm sure they played an influence in each other's lives. <clears throat> but uh, you know Josiah brought really a national uh, kind of a national at least reform, if not revival. I mean, he tore down the idols and he uh, burned the the high places and he he got rid of a lot of the false. Uh, worship that they were having, uh, but it it, it was uh, kind of like too little, too late, or maybe the hearts of the people were still given to idolatry, and so uh, Jeremiah and a lot of the other prophets really address the wickedness 
of the people and so each chapter kind of uh, talks about the same thing from a different angle it's, it's, it's not really a broken record but God is really counseling them and having them examine their heart on so many levels and uh, look, look at actually the last few verses of Jeremiah 7 so if you're in Jeremiah 8 just look up uh, just a few verses Jeremiah 7 verses 31 and 32 it talks about this place called Tophet and they have built the high places of Tophet which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire which I commanded them not neither came it into my heart He says, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnon, but the valley of slaughter, for they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place. And so God is predicting, you know, a lot of death. You know, you've been offering your sons and your daughters to false gods here in this valley. And we said uh, last time that I taught that this valley of Hinnom was... uh, the the Hebrew no it's the Greek word Gehenna have you heard of Gehenna it it's uh, it, it's translated hell and so right outside of Jerusalem was this valley it was kind of the city dump and there was continual fire going so they took their trash there but they were also burying or uh, sacrificing their children there. And so when we get to chapter 8, it says, At that time, saith the Lord, so at that time, the time that you're killing your kids, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah, and the bones of the princes, and the bones of the priests, and the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves, and they shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven whom they have loved and whom they have served and whom they have walked and whom they have sought and whom they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor be buried. They shall be for dung upon the face of the earth. And so uh, as in our country, I mean, it's kind of a, a wicked thing to deface a grave or to... You know, when they have floods in Mississippi and sometimes the caskets float to the surface, you know, it that's just a pretty low thing to do. But uh, when when Babylon, when the enemy come, they're going to actually dig up the kings and the princes and they're going to dig up graves and just scatter their bones across the ground. And so it's really uh, graphic. <clears throat> and it's... Uh, I believe it's part of somehow their pagan worship. And what do we what do we call this worship of heaven? What is the word that we would use today? Um, astrology, like. Uh, you know, like the horoscopes, and and uh, there there's a certain 
and you don't really think of it that way maybe as worshiping the host of heaven but uh, some way this was part of their religious worship because that's what it says in verse 2 that that they have loved them, they have served them, they walked after them, they sought after them, and they worshiped them. And I, I don't know if that's directly talking about the Babylonians or if that's talking about uh, the people of Jerusalem. But uh, anyway, th- this is some of the the punishment that the Lord is bringing upon His people. <clears throat> And in verse 3, look at verse 3 with me of chapter 8. And death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of them that remain of this evil family, which uh, remain in the places whither I have driven them, saith the Lord of hosts. So he calls his people an evil family. And it's because they they chose death rather than life. And kind of one of the things I gleaned from that is just, I gave you a teaching point there that God wants his people to love him, to serve him, to walk after him, to seek after him, and to worship him. But that's what they were doing to the host of heaven. And I, I look for my paper, I studied this a little bit. When you hear host of heaven, the Bible talks about the host of heaven in two different ways. One, in, in a physical uh, celestial way the the stars and the moon and the sun but also uh, the host of heaven uh, represents the angels and stars sometimes represent angels and so it talks about you know the host of heaven coming to help God's people and things like that so it's just kind of so when I see people worshiping it's kind of a counterfeit uh, astrology is uh, of of a true of, of a true thing that there are there is a heavenly host and we uh, we glorify the Lord with with the angels in heaven and so anyway it's kind of neat to think about those things and Brian's been teaching through Malachi and he made note of how it talks about the son of righteousness is a type of, of God the, of of Christ being the son uh, S-O-N versus S-U-N and uh, even Friday night uh, Chris spoke at our group and he you know he talked about you know the son uh you know is a picture of christ and it it provides life it you know christ is called the light of the world it calls he's called that thing so these are more than just uh words on a page they they mean something and uh you know light brings life it brings hope it brings warmth it and so um anyway these people of this day that we're reading about they uh, were worshiping the, the counterfeit, the actual, the sun and the moon and the stars. And I, I believe Baal is called the sun god. I think that's uh, even in the scriptures. So uh, Baal, and so even uh, some religions, I know even the Catholic, a lot of their, uh, they have a sunburst. And some some of that we, we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, they... Uh, in the Bible, that this false worship, they were making these cakes to the, and worshiping the Queen of Heaven, and um, uh, the Queen of Heaven was Astaroth, and that's in the Bible, and uh, her husband was supposedly Baal, and he's the sun god, and so you see even that in Catholic imagery, you see a sunburst on a lot of their altars, 
and uh, things like that. So anyway, I put astrology was your first blank. But this next section here, any any questions or thoughts as I'm talking? Everybody's kind of quiet today. Everybody tired or <laughs> maybe I'm just boring. No. <laughs> I th- I think what I was going to mention this this the name Jeremiah I think the ayah is where is what means God, and the thing I heard this week is that the Jera part uh, could mean uh, build up or tear down. You know, we have some words that have kind of two meanings, and uh, that was his commission in chapter one. He was uh, to uh, tear down and pluck up and pull down and cast out so that they could build and plant. Do you remember that? Uh, that was his commission. And so it's just neat that his mother, you know, because he was, he was called to be a, a servant or prophet of God from his mother's womb, kind of like uh, John the Baptist. And so, uh, anyway, it's just neat that his mom gave him this name. I think we've been teaching that his name means God exalts or something like that. But it, the thing I heard this week, and I don't know where they got it from, is... That Jeremiah could mean God builds up or God's tear down, and it's kind of based on how you receive His message. If these, because it says over and over again, if you will receive my words, if you obey, then I will turn from the judgment that I'm bringing about. I, I'll protect you, I'll guide you. So it's, it's kind of the same with us. It was, it's, a, it's that two-edged sword of the Word of God. We can either. Uh, you know, be blessed by it, like the surgeon's scalpel, or we can be uh, slain by it. So, but anyway, we know that the people of Judah, <clears throat> their their heart was not turned, and so they were facing judgment. So, somebody read verses four and five, if they will, of Jeremiah eight. Angie, can you give me some water? It says. Moreover, thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not arise? Shall they turn away and not return? Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast the sea, they refuse to return. Read verse 6 also, Sarah. Hearken and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course as the horse rusheth into the battle. Yeah. So he kind of reads this with him there in verse 4. It's like, uh, you know, sir, ma'am, when you fall down, don't you rise back up again? Well, yeah. And uh, if you fall away or turn away from the Lord, uh, shouldn't you return to him? So he's kind of reasoning with him, but he says, uh, no, in verse 5, why then is this people of Jerusalem backslidden or slidden back by a perpetual black backsliding? So that's what the blank I gave you there was just the word backsliding. And th- this, uh, Jeremiah introduces this uh it's kind of like, 
in Galatians where it, it talks about uh, falling from grace. It is a, it's like a backslide. They're still God's people, but they they were here. They were they were His wife. He brought them into the land. He gave them the law, and He uh, conquered their enemies. And they they backslid from where they were. Right. That's what that's what just the word means. They they slid backwards. And Jeremiah is saying, "You guys have fallen. You should return. You should get up." You've turned away from God. You should come back to Him. That's what repentance is. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but uh, repentance and confession are kind of like um, it's kind of like the same side of it, it's a different side of the same coin. Let's just picture this as being uh, confession on one side and repentance on one side. So confession is like. You're confessing, God, you're right, uh, and repentance is saying I'm wrong. So confession, so that's why, uh, that's why uh, the famous verse of salvation is that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, uh, thou shalt be saved. Uh, so we 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 confess and repent is kind of like two parts of the same thing, and so that's what he's asking his people to do. But you, you're in this perpetual backsliding, and and what I why I had uh, Sarah read verse six. It's at the end of it. It's like as the horse ru- horse rusheth into the battle, and you. you and, and he's saying, uh, Judah, you're just like you're going after sin. So not only are you not turning back from it, you're you're running towards it. And so that's just very uh, graphic there. <clears throat> and so it, he says something similar in verse seven. He talks about these animals. Yea, the stork in the heaven knoweth her appointed times, and the turtle dove and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. So it's like, man, the the animals, they, I don't know if that's, if these birds are like migration birds, but somehow animals just instinctively know certain things. And Jeremiah, and maybe he was somewhat of an animal lover or a nature or outdoors uh, you know, kind of guy, but he's like, man, the, these the stork, the turtle, and when you see turtle in the Bible, what do you think of? This is a this is a good question. Any ideas? Slow progress. Is it talking about? It? See, we th- we think that, but it's a it it no, it's a reference to turtle doves. he's talking about uh, birds here and uh, so when you see turtle in the Bible it's not talking about the reptile it's it's talking about the turtle dove and so that uh, I wondered why there was like yeah. Birds, but then there was a turtle. Yeah. I don't know why it's called a turtle dove, but if you remember that that was kind of like the poor person's way of making animal sacrifices. Maybe if they couldn't afford a sheep or lamb, they could bring two turtle doves or something like that. And I think that was Joseph and Mary. They they were doing that. Uh, so anyway, that's just Yeah, that is a cool so these these birds they observe certain times of the year and and it's like man my people they don't even know judgment is coming 
And so I think it's up into verse 31 or 2 is when we see Babylon actually invade. So we, we've still got another 15 or 20 verses or chapters before we get to the actual event of Babylon invading uh, Judah. So all this is preparing them. So there's the people are hearing, you know, thus saith the Lord. Now, in verses 8 and 9, they talk about how proud they are of the law that the Jews have the oracle of God, but it was it was vain for them because because no one was following. You know, all of us are so yeah. We're we're King James Bible believers, but uh, you know, do do we read it? Do we study it? Do we? And, and I know I'm preaching to the the choir in here. Uh, hopefully, we all are. But they were they were priding themselves in something that was just vanity. That even though they had the word of the Lord, they weren't following it. And so in verse 10, it mentions one of their sins. Uh, Somebody read verse 10 for us. Therefore will I give their wives unto others, and their fields to them that shall inherit them. For everyone from the least even unto the greatest is given to covetousness. From the prophet even unto the priest, everyone deal falsely. Yeah, so uh, if you know that this is this is the tenth of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. Uh, if you remember, and uh, to turn with me to uh, hold your place here and turn to Romans chapter seven, because this was actually uh, the Apostle Paul's. Uh, this is kind of what brought him to salvation is the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 because remember we know that the law is like our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ and so here in Romans chapter 7 and we're going to start in verse 7 Romans 7, 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. So the law shows us what sin is. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. <clears throat> now, there's that word, Thou shalt. that's what the law says, Thou shalt not covet. And he, uh, well, let's just go on and read what happens here. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. That's kind of like uh, inordinate lust. He, uh, Paul lusted after something here. For without the law, sin was dead. Like, uh, well, let, let's uh, think here for a minute. Uh, Leo and Amita have little Scarlet, right? Is her name? <laughs> So little little Scarlet, uh, she's not really under the law. She she doesn't know that she's sinning, and so she is innocent. And, and so that's what Paul's saying. He says that uh, bef- he says I was alive without the law. So uh, th- this says that uh, at the end of verse eight, for without the law, sin was dead. So. The law doesn't really affect little Scarlet. 
And that's what he says in verse 9, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So once little Scarlet knows she's a sinner, the Word of God has said, You know, honey... You shouldn't bear false witness. You shouldn't lie. Have you lied? Yeah, I've lied. Well, then, then you're saying it. it uh, so Paul was alive without the law, but once, once he knew he was a sinner, then the uh, sin was revived and he, and he died uh, spiritually. <clears throat> and then, and then read on here <clears throat> in verse ten. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. He says, For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. And so, uh, so uh, when Paul heard, you know, remember he studied at the feet of Gamaliel, so he, he was taught the law, and at some point, he heard, you know, preacher Gamaliel say, you know, son, you shouldn't covet, and and he was he was smitten. And and what what do you think covetousness is? What do you think it means to covet? Wanting something someone else has. Wanting something that someone else has. So it could be a house. It could, uh, in in the context there. Uh, he go in uh, in Exodus twenty and Deuteronomy five. He explains that uh, you shouldn't cover your neighbor's wife. You shouldn't cover your neighbor's hu- uh, house. You so it it can it can really mean anything. Uh, it, it could be a car. It could be you know lots of things. It could be clothing. You could covet, and so it's that inward desire that we. So it, it's around us still today, right? <clears throat> And so that that's what it was <clears throat> under the Jews. They were given to covetousness. They they wanted other people's religions. They were jealous of, you know, gosh, you guys are worshiping the sun. We want to worship the sun. That, I mean, I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm free, Steve. Yeah. In recovery, we can covet someone else's uh, sobriety mm. and get sidetracked and then start to feel uh, resentful and uh, angry because they're sober and we're not I mean we want it without doing the work mm. so it's the same thing like we want someone's house without doing the work we just want it uh, and so we mm. can become uh, yeah. Our even good things even good things like that yeah. I, I know when I uh you know, graduated shepherd school. I can remember um, Brian Clark being sent out to missionary to you know to London. I was like, I kind of God, why aren't you using me like that? It, it was that. It was that kind of, and I had to fight against that because you know I'm on my own path. But uh, Tom, what were you thinking? You were kind of bike right on the nose, but I was, I was uh, thinking about back when I was going to MBT. I, I used to cover. Other people walk with God, and mm. like, right. uh, out at that point, and it's kind of like mm. distracting me to the point where I I start to mm. fall away, or yeah, yeah. Like, why can't I get to that point? Why don't I? Why don't I have that? Yeah. 
So yeah, this is relevant to all of us. It, it is. Yeah, I'd rather it be just, um, you know, we, we'd like to look or feel a different way and why, why, why are we stuck in what we're doing? So, but yeah, we do have to run our own race and so yeah, good good thoughts. Turn turn back to Jeremiah now. And there's there's a verse here I want to read and then I want to go to a verse in Daniel. So Jeremiah 8 and verse 11. Somebody read 8:11. Uh, Carol, do you want to read that? Jeremiah 8:11. For they have healed the herd of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Yeah, so what what is talking about here, some of the false prophets are saying, you know, hey, you don't have to be worried about Babylon. It's okay. You know, we're, we're going to have peace. And, and so it says that the people were comforted slightly. So, I mean, it's like... You know, our crops are ruined, and Jeremiah is talking all this bad stuff that's going to happen. But then the false prophets come along and say, "No, it's it's going to be peace." And so it, it was really a confusing time for uh, the people. But look at Daniel eleven, because a lot of this is very prophetical. The book of Daniel, you know, speaks about the the coming Antichrist and Daniel's seventieth week and captivity and you know I wonder uh, Jeremiah could have known Daniel easily I mean Daniel was the third deportation so Daniel was just younger than Jeremiah so anyway a lot of these guys overlap and they're speaking about a lot of the same thing but in Daniel 11 verse 21 this is a reference to the coming Antichrist. It said, And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And so the, the, this Antichrist is going to be a false Christ, and he's going to uh, enter peaceably, and he's going to obtain the kingdom by flatteries. He's going to flatter, you know, everything's going to be good, and he's a gifted speaker and uh, orator. And so that's how, uh, so these false prophets are kind of a type of the coming Antichrist. And uh, yet they are cast down. So uh, back to Jeremiah. That's what happens in verse 12. The false prophets are going to be cast down at the Lord's visitation when he visits his people. So he's going to visit them with judgment here. But it's uh, it's a type or picture of the coming Antichrist. And when the Lord returns and destroys him... uh, but a lot of these false prophets were uh, destroyed uh, at the time of Jeremiah when they go into captivity. So we'll see that as as we get, move along through the book. So anyway, page two on your handout. Have I given you all the blanks? I think I only gave you six blanks today. So it was uh, astrology, backsliding, and covetousness. And then in verse 13, if somebody read verse 13, it mentions some trees in here. I wanted to comment on that. 8.13. 
I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaves shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. Yeah, so so in this... And I think that's a very literal thing. I I think their crops were failing. And uh, I I can relate to that. But it it mentioned these two different trees. The vine tree. And uh, and what is is the vine tree? What is that? Grapes. Yeah, yeah, the grapes. And and the figs uh, were not as familiar. Oh, I got to show you this. I got a different picture for you. If I can find it here. No. There's under pictures. Yeah. This is uh, this is Israel's coat of arms. And Tom, I don't know if you can get. Can you see that on the on the, Tom? Can you can the people at Facebook see that? <clears throat> so, what is that in the middle? Candles. The candlesticks. What what do they call it? The menorah. Yeah, the the seven prong candlestick is the menorah. And uh, this is just Hebrew writing for that. That's the word Israel. And then uh, on the side, um, I believe those are uh, olive branches. And so, so that's that's the third tree that Israel is pictured as is the olive. And they they use that for oils. When we were in Israel. That was a big crop. We we went to one of their big uh, olive. I mean, it was a family-owned thing, and uh, the owner of it was kind of a military atheist type guy. And Pastor Alan Shelby got to witness to it. It was really a cool thing that uh, our leader got. To, so we went through an olive. It was real expensive. A lot of the oils and uh, the perfumes and different things they make from olives. So, uh, well, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, to cook or more expensive than like regular. Yeah, but we we kind of got to witness the whole process. I mean, they had big vats and they squeezed them, and then the room where they put them into bottles. It was kind of. I mean, I think they wore hair nets, and there was kind of a sterile, at least an aseptic type of area. Um, so what I was going to say about that, uh, I know many of you have heard of Clarence Larkin. <clears throat> uh, he wrote a, well, he wrote more than one book, but he's, he's a famous architect that lived around the turn of the 20th century. So 1800s to 19, I think uh, up to 1920. So he was an architect who was a born-again believer. And uh, <clears throat> Anyway, I, I bet his book is probably behind Sarah there. It's called Dispensational Truth. And uh, so anyway, I I had I had one and I thought I lost it and I bought another one. So I now I have two of I have two of these books. They're like fifty bucks a piece. But anyway, they're they're really good and and he he goes through kind of how 
in fact, look at Exodus chapter 80 with me, or I'm sorry, Psalm 80. Go to Psalm 80 with me. And this thing about the vine tree, it is so uh, clear. Psalm chapter 80. And will somebody read 8 through 11? Or Angie, do you have that? 8 through 11? Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room before it and didst cause it to take deep root and it fill the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it and the bows thereof were like the goodly cedars. She sent out her bows unto the sea and her branches unto the river. Yeah, so, so God brought this vine out of Egypt. Well, we know that God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. So God is likening His people to a vine. And it's kind of interesting. When we think of a vine, we don't think of a tree. But even as a vine, uh, right here beside our church, uh, you know, we, we cleared out some of this fence row, but there's still some vines in there. They were on the landowner's side of the fence, and we didn't get, we didn't trespass. So, but a vine, an, even a, a grapevine, is very woody. It's very woody fiber, and even though it has to have some kind of uh, uh, support to hold the limbs and stuff, it uh, at least a couple times in the Bible it's mentioned as a tree, and so. God's people are likened to a vine tree. And so Clarence Larkin mentions that this is a a picture of spiritual Israel. Uh, He says that that's a type of spiritual Israel. And uh, there's a lot of chapters how that is true and, and how God visits his vineyard. And Jerusalem is like the vineyard. And so even up into the New Testament, Jesus talks about it. And uh, and how the, <coughs> the people would uh, stone and kill the prophets that came to the vineyard. So there's a lot about that. And then the fig tree, uh, it's mainly in uh, the New Testament. And Clarence Larkin says that it, it pictures uh, national. So that's what goes in your blank. National Israel as a nation. And there's some reasons for that. Like in Matthew 24, it talks about how uh, the fig tree is going to uh, put forth her green leaves. And you know that summer is nigh. And it's talking about uh, Israel. And you, you know Jesus even curses the fig tree because it didn't it didn't have fruit on it because Jesus uh, his last week on earth he walked by the fig tree and he was hungry and he was going to eat of the figs that were on the fig tree and since it didn't have any fruit he he cursed it he uh, and the next day the disciples noticed how it had withered do you remember that so uh, anyway. The fig tree is, uh, and I'm trying to think if we really saw any fig trees when we were in Israel. I, I don't remember really uh, vineyards or fig trees. Uh, there were some crops they grew kind of under, underneath big tents, and so I'm not sure what all was. But I, these are all native to Israel. But the olive tree, for sure. I mean, uh, we've all we've all heard of the um, the Mount of Olives, and so it's called uh, 
the Mount of Olives today. Uh, so it, it's there. We we were on the Mount of Olives, and and especially when he prayed in Gethsemane, uh, the Catholics built a church there, and uh, they they fenced off an area that you can't walk through, but you can walk around it, and it's full of these olive trees, and so they they believe that's the area where the uh, Gethsemane was, just at the lower part of the Mount of Olives. And so uh, he 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 speaks as this as being religious Israel, and so it, it's a little different from. And uh, when you think of the fig tree, can you think of the first time that uh, figs are mentioned in the Bible? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, wasn't it? It said they made themselves aprons of figs, and. And so what we what we teach or understand by that they 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 were ashamed of their naked and you know before they fell it says they were naked and not ashamed but after they fell they were ashamed and uh, they covered themselves with fig leaves and and God came down he said no you're still naked let me uh, cover you with coats of animal skins and so God had to kill innocent so uh, fig leaves are kind of a, a type of self-righteousness because we we want to clothe ourselves and make ourselves look good uh, in our own righteousness but Christ uh, God says no you, you have to be uh, covered by the blood anyway so anyway the, these trees are uh, um, I kind of went off on a tangent from Jeremiah 8, so hopefully uh, that's okay and, and you were edified by that. But I think just historically, their crops were failing. There's going to be no grapes on the vine. There's no going to be no, no figs on the fig tree. And the leaf shall fade. So they're, they're just unfruitful, unfruitful uh, before their, their coming captivity. Uh, then in verse 14, <clears throat> Why do you sit still, assemble yourselves, and let us enter into the defense city, and let us be silent there? For the Lord our God hath put us to silence, and given us water of gall to drink, because we have sinned against the Lord. And that gall there, if you remember our Lord when he was on the cross, he was offered a, a vinegar or a gall to drink. And it says when he had tasted it, he he refused it. So uh, he put it to his lips and refused it. And, and it is a bitter uh, gall. And I believe it's made from the grapes. Isn't it a pain killer? And yeah, I think it was a painkiller type of medicine. Yeah. Very bitter. and So it, it's also translated venom, poison, or hemlock. I put in your notes there. But anyway, so that's what the people were facing. Your, your crops are going to fail. The enemy's going to dig up bones and put all over the ground. And uh, you're going to, instead of water, you're going to get some gall mixed in. It's going to be bitter toward toward you. And uh, and then in verse 15, we look for peace, but no good came for the time of health uh, and for a time of health and behold trouble. So they were looking for peace and they didn't have any peace. They were looking for 
health and instead trouble came so trouble is what goes in your blank there and again this is a prophetical of Israel's time of trouble the tribulation that's coming and uh, tr- trouble it was <clears throat> and trouble it, it shall be in the tribulation and then in verse 17 uh, jump down there uh, the Lord's going to send serpents and cockatrices among you which shall not be charmed and they shall bite you saith the Lord And I think probably that was literal <clears throat> but anyway uh, my teaching point there is that God loves his people enough to drive them away from their idolatry so uh, by taking them out of the promised land and getting them away from their idolatry to where uh, they they did kind of lose everything and that but that was what was necessary they had to be plucked up and rooted out and cast down before they could be uh, returned but he is going to bring his people back <clears throat> and he'll bring them out of captivity now in verse the last section there 18 through 22 I think this kind of shows Jeremiah's heart uh, do you remember what kind of prophet we said Jeremiah was weeping uh, he was a weeping prophet and so probably more than any other prophet we see we see Jeremiah's heart and he was hurt for his people and he was uh, really in tune with the Lord and part of the reason I like this do you know Jeremiah never ended up going to captivity all the people <clears throat> so the Israelites kind of considered Jeremiah a traitor because he's saying Babylon's coming. We need to all go to Babylon. Well, they were very uh, self-righteous people, and they're like, "No, we are God's people. This is our land. You know, God's going to give us peace here." And Jeremiah saying no, and so he was kind of pro-Babylon in a way that. Uh, <clears throat> so he was hated by them, but the Babylonians kind of loved him because you know. Jeremiah is saying, we, we're going to conquer you guys. If you just go with us, you know, we won't have to kill you. And so, uh, so when they did come, they kind of gave him the option. Do you want to stay here in Jerusalem or do you want to come with us to captivity? And, and Jeremiah stayed. He, he didn't end up going to captivity. And I think some of this is historical, but I think uh, some of the people, we'll see, I'm not totally sure, but I think he ends up dying in Egypt. I think they took him to Egypt. He didn't, I don't think, I don't think he wanted to go necessarily, but anyway, uh, Jeremiah did not have to go to the Babylonian captivity himself. But in verse 18, when I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. And I've been listening to a, a preacher. He, he thinks that faint in the Bible is kind of a reference to depression. You know, we're, we're to uh, uh, we're to faint not. The Bible says so. We we shouldn't be depressed. We have hope. But Jeremiah said, "I'm just uh, I'd like to be comforted, but I'm just full of sorrow. My my heart is faint." So he uh, has a certain amount of depression here. 
and he kind of gets a why for the reason they're being attacked and it's because in verse 19 they're worshiping and serving graven images uh, somebody read 19 for us uh, 819 Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people because of them that dwell in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and their strange vanities? Yeah, so he... um he realized that the Jews have provoked God to anger because of uh, their graven images and their strange vanities. <clears throat> and I, I gave you the verse there, another one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, and thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. <clears throat> and so this was written in their law. And so they were they were violating God's law. And so he's coming to judge them and and it's causing him to be depressed because he's sorry. He don't want to see his people destroyed. And he says in verse 20 that the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black. Uh, astonishment hath taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? <clears throat> is there no physician there? Why then is not the healthy uh, why why then is not the health of my of the daughter of my people recovered <clears throat> I need to put on my glasses I can't already see <clears throat> so I think I read that right so this, this is where I want to end up today uh, he asked a couple rhetorical questions here in 22 is there no balm in Gilead so uh, this balm in Gilead, Gilead is some kind of salve. It's some kind of ointment <clears throat> that you can put on your wounds and it'll heal you. <clears throat> and he says, is there no physician there? Well, yes, there were physicians and they were prescribing this balm of Gilead. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I've heard that this is kind of a prophecy of Jesus Christ. He is the balm of Gilead. He is... Uh, in 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 Luke, it talks about uh, he Jesus was called a physician, and so so what Jeremiah is saying is, hey Jews, there's balm in Gilead, there's doctors to give it to you. Why aren't we healed? Why are we still hurting? Why are we still in this mess? And he says there, uh, the word recovered. That, that's what I put in your blank. Yet the people, they're, they're still sick and they're not recovered. And that, that just kind of resonates me as the, the pastor of our recovery ministry because, I mean, if, if you would, uh, and I know Pam's seen it, we, we've got a list of resources of, you know, detox centers and rehab facilities and, uh, you know, other recovery groups of, there's there's program there's uh, so there's all this help for the addicted, and yet there's probably more people in addiction now than ever. You know how how is that? And so what I propose to our Friday night group, which I think was the Jews' problem, 
is uh, it was their heart that their heart was not turned toward God. If your heart is just bent on destructive behavior, and you know, Second Timothy says, uh, "Them that oppose themselves," and all of us do things that oppose ourselves. We don't eat right. We uh, we maybe spend money we don't have. Th- those are all detrimental to uh, maybe what God would have us to do. And so I, I just think verse 22 is very uh, prophetical and relevant for today because we have the balm of Gilead. His name is uh, Jesus Christ. It's, it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he is the great physician. And he prescribes this uh, for us. And yet uh, we're still in bondage. And, and you know the Jews were God's people. So even God's people can... Uh, not be recovered. They can be in bondage and still be God's people. And so, uh, anyways, is there, is there any thoughts around that? I think it's just so true, isn't it? Because you 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 look and we we have so much and we're have so much available. And and I, I think it was probably ten years ago I heard something like this. Somebody did a study of of all the Christian radio stations, of all the uh, you know churches in America, of all the television stations. There's Christian television networks and Christian movies and Christian books. So there there's uh, so much more opportunity we have to reach the world and yet we're getting less done for the gospel I think it was 20 years ago that I heard that South Korea sends out more missionaries than the United States that that's you know that we have people sending missionaries to our country now you don't think about that yeah there's Hispanic missionaries coming to America to reach the Americans for <clears throat> so <clears throat> you know you, you take the uh, uh, like William Carey who went to India on a one way boat ride you know where he spent 40 years or whatever and you know those those guys were getting more done for the gospel than than, than we are and they had less support, you know, less funding, less resources, you know, before technology. And uh, so anyway, having more balm of Gilead and having more doctors is not the issue. The issue is our heart, isn't it? That's kind of where, that's what I conclude by this last verse here. And so uh, hopefully this week, uh, just our vision conference, we'll get... Uh, really God's vision for our church for our lives and so hopefully you can be there is there any uh, thoughts or questions before we close today uh, appreciate everybody joining us online and uh, Pastor Betson it's good you could join us and uh, look forward to hearing and seeing more from you and your people the church in Zambia is listening in so that's pretty wild so yeah, go ahead and close that down and we'll, ha- we'll have a word of prayer here and we'll get out a few minutes early. <clears throat> Lord willing, we'll be in chapter 9 next week. 
this. So uh, read ahead if you want. But uh, any uh, Tom, you want to post it? Yeah, yeah. You go ahead and post that, and then uh, why don't you pray and close us here today, Tom? Heavenly Father, for this time, thank you, thank you for uh, speaking to his message. Lord, uh, we just pray that we uh, kind of chew on that for the week and uh, just let it uh, let it sink in. Uh, Lord, I pray that you watch over us all and uh, bless this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' name. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters. Oh, no. It was one of those, I mean, they could have tried to have a long, 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 long,